Well, welcome to this Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and it's a Super Tuesday indeed because we are less than a year away from the election. But you know what that also means is that the primaries begin in March. And um, or, or maybe they begin sooner. I don't know if somebody moved these things up. But as we see the primaries, there are so many different uh, uh, pieces to the puzzle, so many parts of the presidential election that are in place. A couple of things I wanted to bring to your attention before we get into our story about, uh, you know, we hear about the defund the police and vote the bums out and this, that, the other thing. An entire town took action against their city council. Their local government basically blew it to bits. I want to share that story with you coming up. But uh, first, though, a couple of things, if you're paying attention i realize here we are it's tuesday before thanksgiving it's kind of a holiday week for some people you may be heading out of town if you're listening on the road right now uh honk your horns or flash your headlights something like that to let people know that you're listening to the bottom line show um th- there are a couple things that are happening behind the scenes that the media will not pay attention to but i want to encourage us to pay attention to because there are some realities that we're, we're dealing with reality number one The Republican Party is in a bit of chaos right now because of the fact that Donald Trump is still the most popular candidate. And even though uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago on the uh, uh, National Crawford Roundtable podcast, even though the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia conducted a poll and they found of Donald Trump supporters right now, uh, Donald Trump supporters are uh, most distrustful of members of the Democrat Party. We get it. A lot of Republicans are. But they are convinced that uh, the Democrat Party is leading America down the wrong road. I get it. But then 50, no, wait, 40% of Donald Trump supporters uh, believe that democracy is not the way to solve the problem and that we need need a new system of government. That's kind of interesting. And then 31% of Trump supporters say it's okay to resort to violence if the people who are (laughs) opposing you, um, you know, don't line up with you. Now, I want to be unmistakably clear as christians we should never condone violence as a first line of defense about saving our government saving our economy etc etc if someone attacks you and threatens your business or your family your livelihood or something like that that's a whole different conversation but i'm frustrated with democrats therefore i'm going to blow up their buildings or you know no, that's Uh, That's just not, I don't believe that's the way Jesus would have us handle that. We're not the Old Testament. We're not fighting the Amalekites. I mean, this is, we're talking about political differences here. And ultimately, God has the final say. At the same time, though, Democrats have been playing a very interesting game with us as Americans all throughout this election cycle. Have you noticed this? Even though Donald Trump hasn't been in office for the past three years, he's been in the headlines in the front page of the newspapers and the CNNs and the New York Times. Uh, for the past three years because he's good for business. Donald Trump's the big old boogeyman, orange man, bad, and all that stuff. Everything that's wrong with America is Donald Trump's fault, according to those on the progressive totalitarian left. So the left kind of has a love-hate relationship with Donald Trump. They don't want him in the White House, but they don't want him to go away because he's the big old scary guy that makes everything wrong with our nation. And so everything that they want to do that's anti-Trump is kind of like, well, that's okay because we, we, we can rig elections because that's for the good of the nation. You know? So they don't want him running for president and winning because they would think that would be horrible for America, but they do want him to run for president because it would keep a legitimate Republican candidate off the ticket and they want to humiliate him further in public. 
pay no attention to the fact that the guy who won the election in 2022, not fair and square as he indicated, but he did wind up being declared the winner, Joe Biden, has turned out to be a colossal disaster for the Democrat Party. He is doing his level best to keep the socialists and progressives happy, but it's not working out all that well. They gave him the most socialistic progressive senator in the U.S. Senate and Kamala Harris as a running mate. So now you check off the box. She's a girl. So we like that female in the White House or close to the White House. She is a mixed race. Dad's Jamaican. Mom is from India. So that's another thing. She's from California. So that West Coast, East Coast thing. Did I mention she's a girl? I mean, that, th- these are the things that progressives think about, not who's the best candidate. I mean, let's be real. If you're talking about best candidates, I had Peggy Young Nance, the uh, uh, president of Concerned Women for America, on the Bottom Line show um, back the week after the election, I think it was, in 2016. And I asked her how she felt about the election then that wound up resulting in Donald Trump's victory. She said, I'm really disappointed. And I thought, hmm, that's, that's kind of crazy. Um, you know, but if the conservative guy or the Republican guy won, she goes, yeah, we had a chance to elect a woman president. And I'm really disappointed. And I'm like, wait, what did I miss? When did Concerned Women for America come out in support of Hillary Clinton? I miss, I didn't see that one coming. And then finally she smiled and said, yeah, we had a chance to elect a woman. And instead we nominated Hillary Clinton for the Democrat presidential nomination. The first time we've ever nominated a woman at the top of the ticket and it's her. And then I understood what she was getting at. How many other women in America are better qualified to be president of the United States than Hillary Rodden Clinton? That's, that's a slam dunk. That's, there, there's a no-brainer there. So Democrats trying to appease that part of the base basically offered up Kamala Harris as the, see, look, we got a woman close to the White House. And she has turned out to be, well, she's making Dan Quayle look like a really good vice president. Uh, not that Jay Danforth Quayle wasn't a good vice president. He just got terrible press because he was kind of awkward for the media. They really didn't like the guy. I mean, you know, he's a, <laughs> he was a pretty smart dude, but they did their very best to make him look not so smart. Kamala, on the other hand, we're kind of scratching our heads sometimes when we hear her speak and ask, did you really finish law school? I mean, you were an attorney general of the state of California. I mean, wow. But nonetheless, so the Democrats have a problem. Number one, they thought they could just kind of cruise on by with, well, we'll just make Donald Trump the, 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 the big enemy and we'll win. Then Roe versus Wade was overturned and that became, oh, your democracy's at risk. And that, that does get some, some, that some points. But then there's the whole Joe Biden problem. Is he fit? Does he have four more years in him to actually rule and govern? The consensus among most people is, look, he's 82. Even if he weren't, forget the party affiliation, forget his son being a criminal, forget all those other things you have to deal with. It's probably more designed, better designed for a younger man or younger woman for that matter, a younger candidate. But now the Democrats are stuck. If they run somebody, uh, how do you get rid of Joe Biden? You know, uh, what do you do with Kamala? How, how do you make this work? So, you know, there's been a lot of fast and furious negotiating going on behind the scenes to figure out how in the world are they going to deal with the problem of Joe Biden not being fit for public consumption for 2024? Well, you get a couple of things show up. First of all, his health hasn't been great. He's 82. He's entitled to it. Secondly, 
What would happen if it turned out that the Hunter Biden story that we all knew was true back in 2020, but the mainstream media lied to us about it? Oh, gosh, maybe he did get those checks and maybe he did use his influence with his dad being the vice president to get on the board of Burisma. Oh, look at that. Hey, who knew? You know, the the head of NPR and PBS saying uh, we don't cover goose chases. We only cover real news. And the Hunter Biden story isn't real news. Three years later, guess what? It's real news. But now you've got some direct links to Joe Biden, checks that went to him and to his brother. And well, maybe it, well, there's a lot of evidence that indicates that yes, he was in on this. So what do you do? Well, if you're the Democrat party, there's been talk, maybe you've heard the rumblings, Jim Jordan and the House Judiciary Committee or whoever's heading up the subpoena uh, of saying we should impeach this guy. And up until maybe six months ago, I would have said, don't waste your time. It's not worth the hassle. But now there actually are some impeachable offenses that the president has committed. Well, is this the right thing for Democrat for Republicans to do? I mean, it's really easy. The Republicans do this and the Democrats will say, you don't care about democracy. How dare you? He's a good president and not like Trump. And oh, my goodness. And look, what they're trying to divide our nation. And and it split us all apart and vote Democrat because we would never do that, even though we did it with Donald Trump. But you don't hear too many Democrats pushing back against the idea of impeaching Joe Biden. That's what's interesting. No one, I mean, the Democrats are the most unified group I've ever seen in terms of politics. Republicans get their clocks cleaned in every election cycle because Democrats could come up, you know, the moon is made out of green cheese and it's on everybody's talking points. Right? But the moon's being a green cheese. Yeah, we have scientific study. We're on PBS. We're on NPR. We're on ABC World News Tonight. Hey, we have new uh, proof that the moon is made out of green cheese. Oh, it's green cheese, Fred. I always thought it was blue cheese. Ha, 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 ha. You know. <laughs> Meanwhile, Republicans would go, is it blue? Is it green? What are they talking about? I think they're crazy. Let's impeach Joe Biden. And the Republicans would, then somebody else in the Freedom Caucus would say, well, so what if it's green? Let's get angry about the fact that they didn't impeach somebody. And next thing you know, the Democrats are unified, the Republicans aren't, and the Democrats can spin the whole story of the moon being made out of green cheese into election gold. But you don't hear that this time. Instead, you hear Jim Jordan says, we'll probably impeach Joe Biden in early 2024 and crickets from the Democrats. Why would they do this? Why would they just kind of let this happen? We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment. And the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, You know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat. And you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 
833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year. So give a gift right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Hey, we're talking politics here on Super Tuesday. I should let you know, I want to let you know, that coming up at the bottom of the hour, Raymond Arroyo is going to join me. Raymond, of course, a contributor for Fox News. He's kind of the go-to regular fill-in for Laura Ingram on the Ingram Angle. He has been writing some great kids' books for Christmas time. And I realize that uh, it's not really properly polite to talk about Christmas before Thanksgiving. But he wrote a book last year called The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. And it's a dynamic book, and I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity to get a chance to read this to your kids and especially to your grandkids. That's why we are giving away a copy. Well, actually, we're giving away two today here on The Bottom Line Show. 800-227-5278. See, it's two books for Super Tuesday. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Raymond Arroyo joins me at the bottom of the hour to talk about his new Christmas book called The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. Uh, meanwhile, back at the White House, Joe Biden, is. Uh, the, there's talk that he will be impeached the first part of this year, uh, 2024. Jim Jordan and his team lining that up, and you don't hear much protestation from Democrats. Why is that? Well, on the one hand, they could easily say those dirty Republicans are doing that to us. They're ruining our democracy. That's why you need to vote for us and give us your money. They'll use it to fundraise and they'll probably be very successful with it. But the second part is that the impeachment would, in fact, actually solve a huge problem for the Democrats. You know what that problem is? If Joe Biden is impeached and forced to leave office as a result, they could swear in Kamala Harris as president the 47th president of the United States, and she would serve out the rest of Joe Biden's term. She could then pull a hamstring, not be allowed to continue for some reason, family issue, health, something like that. And Gavin Newsom and Gretchen Whitmer, she being the governor of uh, Michigan, could run on the ticket, last minute emergency, we've got to bail out Joe and Kamala and uh, let's all rally together. And I think Democrats would be okay with that. Be curious to get your thoughts. Drop me a line at thebottomlineshow.com and uh, tell me what you think of my plan here. It sounds a little far-fetched, but Joe Biden gets impeached, is forced out of office, so Kamala Harris can be sworn in, and then she can pull a hamstring, and Gavin Newsom and Gretchen Whitmer can run in 2024. It's a crazy thought, but stranger things have happened in the political world. Now, you know, it's funny because one of the big rallying cries for Democrats, especially three, four years ago, was let's defund the police. Let's get rid of crooked and corrupt politician police officers. Minneapolis, remember the George Floyd thing happened and all of a sudden it was, um, we need to get rid of the corrupt police force. And so they tried to, and then they wound up spending a lot of money on overtime and now they're trying to reinstate and refund the police force. The only time a defund the police situation has ever worked is when a town says we are going to defund the police as we know it and then we're going to restart something else that's a better plan there was a town in uh in new jersey i believe that actually defunded their entire police force but what they did is then they they blew up the union that was representing the police officers and then they started over again by hiring police officers to work directly for the city 
because they weren't paying the union dues, they were able to hire more officers. The more officers provided better crime protection. Crime went down in the town. And it started with defunding the original police force that was paying the union. Now, that's a defund the police force that I think most people can get with. But what happens if you've got a a government agency that's working with a foreign body that's really doing a lot to damage your town and you feel like there's nothing you could do about it? Let me introduce you (laughs) to a, a, a town in Michigan that found this actually to be problematic for them. Uh, Green Charter, Michigan, is a township. And they had a problem that they were facing where the town council, the local government, had made a controversial decision to approve a green energy product uh, project. rather. But the problem is it was tied to the Chinese government. Now, this is a community that has about 3,200 people living there. And the town council, this is their governing board, approved a plan last year that received support from the aforementioned Gretchen Whitmer and other Michigan Democrats who were saying that this is going to be great because this green energy plant is going to bring about $2.3 billion to the township. It's going to add 2,300 jobs at this plant. Now, in a town of 3,200 people, 2,300 new jobs is great because you know what happens with the jobs. I mean, it's basic, but let me review, let me review this. Here comes the project. They build this green energy plant. And there are 2,300 jobs. Well, the people who are working there are getting paid. They are also paying taxes. They're paying state, local, and federal taxes. So the government loves that. They need to work and live somewhere relatively close. So that means an increase in housing. By patronizing the, uh, the, that when they're paying property taxes. They're buying things for the house, which helps furniture. They're buying groceries and things of that nature as well, buying appliances. If they have families, they've got need for schools. Schools get built. You can see where this really can, a plant like this could really make a small town. And when you've got Green Charter, Michigan, the township with the actual population, 3,219 people. They approved this green energy project for $2.36 billion last year. The township council approved it, but the local residents did not. There's one main reason. I mean, the reason that residents opposed this was first and foremost, they were going to be building on agricultural land. And they didn't want to see the agricultural land plowed under to put in this green energy. Basically, it was going to be a battery company called Goiton High Tech that was going to build a multi-billion dollar electric vehicle uh, battery manufacturing plant in the area. So there's your green technology. It's all industrial. They're making batteries for cars, but green technology. Okay. Did I mention that the major funding for the Goiton High Tech company came from China? Yeah. This company is owned by China. This is basically, these guys are completely bought and paid for by the Chinese Communist Party. And they come into Michigan. Now, Michigan, people say, Michigan? Why Michigan? I mean, East Lansing, Great Lakes. I mean, why, why would that be a concern? Well, you may not know. I mean, Bob Duco talks about this a lot. But Dearborn, Michigan is the most multicultural city in the United States. And there's a huge Muslim and Middle Eastern influence there. And now here comes China, 
crashing into the Green Charter Township. And the local residents are saying, hey, town council, town council's going, look at us go. 2,300 new jobs, $3.3 billion in investment here. And plus, then that's going to bring all the, it'll get us money for schools and it'll get us, you know, roads improved and developers are going to build houses and shopping malls and McDonald's and Starbucks. And it's going to be so great for our town. But the, um, the townspeople said, hey, wait a minute, city council. Um, these guys are going to take money that's tied into the Chinese Communist Party and plow over our farmland, our ag land, if you will, to build a battery plant. So <laughs> Jason Cruz is a resident of Green Charter. And he said we had to put to the test whether or not democracy was still there. So we wanted to make a statement. So he put together a coalition of residents that said, what say we go ahead and we seek to run for office. And in the process, let's see if we can eliminate every single member of our town council in doing so. Well, guess what happened? On the other side of this break, I will, <laughs> I will share with you a quote from Jason Cruz who is the newly elected supervisor of the town council of Green Charter at the Green Charter Township. They basically ran everyone on the town council out of town, legally, through the voting process. We'll talk about this coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Jason Cruz and company were some fed up members of the Green Charter Township in Green Charter, Michigan. When their town council uh, unilaterally and unanimously elected to um, go ahead with a proposal from a Chinese tech company, Goiton High Tech, that would build a multi-billion dollar electric vehicle battery manufacturing plant in their agricultural land. All of the money coming from the Chinese Communist Party, Jason mounted a campaign to get rid of the town council. He said the town council rejected all of their appeals to hold a vote on the matter, they didn't want to seek public opinion. They basically just pushed the plan on through. So he led a grassroots movement to recall the entire seven member board. He put together an informational campaign, had a third party independent survey done to measure support for the Goiton project and said, hey, look, we don't want to stop growth in our community, but we want the right kind of growth. And we want to make sure that we're not working with hostels to America. So Goiton which says they don't have any allegiance to the Chinese Communist Party, uh, said that it has no influence on the North American subsidiary, which is based in uh, Silicon Valley, but they do have ties to, I mean, they've got the Michigan facility, they've got another one in Illinois, guys like Marco Rubio are getting in on this. So Cruz basically put together an informational campaign saying, here's what your town council did, here's why I'm running for supervisor. And he won. He won his race. He got 70% of the vote. The other incumbent challengers similarly won by large margins, but the new charter board was sworn in on Wednesday and the first order of business was to review the Goiton deal. Now, it's interesting because uh, they were basically able to run out the idea that the uh, the, the ones who ran over uh, the... <laughs> 
the other board members to get this thing done. It's interesting how when they started speaking out saying, yeah, I really didn't want this, really didn't want this thing to happen, they were able to garner support as well. And the ones who steamrolled this, there's a whole new town council. And Jason Cruz is the supervisor of the council because he told the truth about what's going on. This is how a democracy is supposed to work. Government of, for, and by the people. And my hat's off to Jason Cruz and the entire new town council of Green Charter Township in Michigan. Uh, they're going to review this uh, uh, contract that they have with Goiton Electric. And it's my hope that if they find out that it is, in fact, tied into the Chinese Communist Party, they will blow this uh, deal right out of the water. We've got a link for the article, by the way, up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue... Christmas is coming. I know that today is two days away from Thanksgiving and a lot of people don't want to hear about Christmas just yet, but Christmas comes on December 25th every year. Part of your Christmas celebration is going to be setting up a nativity scene. There's going to be angels and shepherds and animals and also wise men in the story. Who were these guys? Were there really three of them? Were they from the Far East? Were they from Persia? Raymond Arroyo with the ETWN Network is also uh, kind of a bit of a Bible historian. He's written some great books for kids that kind of help fill in the gaps on some of the Christmas traditional celebrations that we have, but sometimes we get wrong. His most recent effort is a book called The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. This is a great book for your kids or your grandkids, and the reason we're talking about it today is because I want to make sure you have time to get this thing in time for Christmas when your kids are around and reading stories like this or uh, if you've got grandkids coming over. Now, we have, it's Super Tuesday, we have two uh, giveaways we're going to do today and each of them involves two books. So we have two copies of Raymond Arroyo's book called The Wise Men Who Found Christmas and we're giving those away today. So if you want to get in on the action, uh, give Crystal a call right now and get in on the drawing for not one but two copies of The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. Two winners, by the way. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, That is the number to get you through to the bottom line show. On the other side of this break, you've seen him as a recurring guest host for Laura Ingram on the Laura Ingram Angle on Fox News Channel. Raymond Arroyo joins me coming up next as the bottom line continues. Been hurt in an accident and you're wondering if you should call Stephanie Cover of Cover Law. You must. That's why insurance exists, to cover accidents, so you should use it. Stephanie worked in the insurance industry for over 20 years, and she knows their system, how to talk to adjusters, how they think, and how to get back from them all that you've lost. That could be wages, time, property, or anything else that the accident has taken from you. Every minute you wait hurts your chance to be made whole again. And Stephanie knows that the opposing insurance company is building a case against you, so time is a factor. Stephanie cares about the truth. She builds your case on a rock-solid foundation of honesty. She will give you a clear understanding of what to expect during the process, and Stephanie will ensure that the truth comes to light. If you or someone you know has been in an accident and you're not sure if you need an attorney, Reach out to Stephanie Cover now at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Well, today here at Bottom Line, an annual Christmas tradition, a visit with one of our favorite authors, especially for the books that he is writing for a younger audience, but anybody who is, well, let's say, children and uh, the children at heart. 
a brand new Christmas book by Raymond Arroyo called The Wise Men Who Found Christmas is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Raymond Arroyo, New York Times bestselling author, international broadcaster and producer. He's the founding news director of EWTN News and the host of The World Over Live. And you also see him as a contributor for Fox News, has been on CNN and the Associated Press. Raymond Arroyo, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Oh, Roger, thank you for having me. Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to you as well and to your family also. Uh, we're going to get into this kind of almost sounds like a Fox News type of exclusive the untold story of the yes. wise men <laughs> let's let's get let's get into it because first and foremost i think there are a lot of people who have a lot more interest in getting the actual facts about the christmas story but also too there are some people who uh, really need to hear this message. well you know what happens roger culture and time have a way of uh adding to and embellishing these stories we love and sadly in the case of the wise men and, you know, let's face it, and just for your audience, in South America, in the Eastern Church, so through most of the East, they don't celebrate Christmas on December 25th. Right. They celebrate it on January 6th mm -hmm. when the wise men found the Christ child, the Feast of the Epiphany, the original January 6th, I like to say. <laughs> yes, right. yes, yes, yes. Uh, and they, uh, so I started looking into the things we know. You know, the song, which captures the cultural understanding of the wise men. We three kings of Orient are. Mm -hmm. uh, they, no, they aren't. There were not three of them. They were not from the Far East. And they very likely were more than three of them. Mm. Okay. okay. Uh, and they weren't kings at all. So as I dug into this, I thought, well, who are they? And just to give your audience a quick rundown. The names and the king stuff, the fact that they were kings or the, the story that they were kings, and those three names we've come to know, Melchior, or Caspar, Balthazar, those were created by a guy named Venerable Bede in the 7th century. Hmm. So that's 600 years after Jesus, 700 years after Jesus. Um, so uh, all the early sources tell you something very different. Justin Martyr, Clement of Rome, who, you know, the first century sources, they say the wise men came from Arabia, Arabia. So once, so they are from the east, the immediate east of Jerusalem on the other side of the Dead Sea. Mm -hmm. So suddenly I thought, wait a minute, the gospel account is still correct, but the story has shifted. So let's find out who these guys really are. So well, I began an eight month exploratory research project to wow. figure out who they were. And uh, what emerged for me was an adventure story for the family, uh, a high stakes adventure story where these men were willing to put their lives at risk to go find this Messiah, this savior. Um, and, and it's a buddy movie. It's kind of a fun buddy movie, uh, which the royal procession routine never quite gave me. You know, they're kind <laughs> of passive uh, back. You know, they're, they're like bit players in the backdrop in the mm -hmm. in the story we that's been handed down to us. But the question is, why did Matthew open his gospel with them? Why would they start a gospel with these three wise guys and their prophecy? Why? Well, first of all, he was writing for a Jewish audience. So that's mm -hmm. a clue. And the gifts are a huge clue of where they came from exactly, right. which I can get into if you'd like. Yeah, well, let's do that. Raymond Arroyo is with me today here on The Bottom Line. And we're talking about a children's book, if you can believe it. I mean, I, and I mean that sincerely because oftentimes what we find with children's books, Raymond, the, the illustrations here are beautiful. Diane Lafayette did a wonderful oh, job gorgeous. with them. They're, they're, it's stunning. It, the book reads like 
an animated big screen adventure. And I would imagine at some point, well, we could get into that later. Yeah. But let, let's get into the, the 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 nuts and bolts of the story because I'm sure there are some of us grandparents who are saying, oh, this looks like a nice book to read to my grandkids. Wait, what? Eight months worth of research? What? I thought it was supposed to have, you know, 16, 16 well, pages, some really great pictures that tell the story and a few words at the bottom the kids can follow along with. Well, Roger, my first obligation, and I will tell you, whenever I write, I, I the first question I ask is, is, does the audience need this? And who is the audience for this work? And I thought anybody who loves Christmas, anybody who celebrates Christmas, any Christian, they're going to want to know this story. And then my second obligation is to entertain my readers. And a big portion of that audience are children who are the hardest readers to write for. So mm -hmm. it is an entertaining, very fun read. I'm just giving you the foundational research. Some of this you can put in, some of it you have to add to the author's note, which I did. It explains the madness of my pursuit here. But what you will get is the wise men's story in the proper historic context. They, they live in Petra, the modern day Petra, the kingdom of Nabatea is what it was called. Now, Raymond, why would you set it there? Those three gifts, frankincense, gold, myrrh, Roger, they were only created and the, the people who cornered the market on those three items at that time in the ancient world were the kingdom of Nabatea. Gold, the King Solomon's mines, the mines of Midian, King, King Aratas of, of Nabatea controlled them. Frankincense and myrrh were also made only in the kingdom of Nabatea from Southern Arabian trees. They're made from tree sap. So once I saw that, I thought, of course, he sends out the hottest commodity from the kingdom of Nabatea to pay tribute to what he thinks is Herod's son. The king mm. of Nabatea thinks he's sending his wise men to pay tribute to the newborn king of Herod, Herod's right. new grandson or son. That's why they go to Herod first. And that's the way in the old world. And they're trying to keep peace between these kingdoms which were not at peace. So that backdrop suddenly changes the entire story. Yeah, it certainly does. And for those of us who have grown up with the narrative of the wise men and and uh, coming from the east and how many children's pageants have you seen raymond arroyo where you oh. know, you little little boys and girls with the cardboard beards and the whole and the, the, whole and shot. the crowns I, mean, oh, I was yeah. one of those kings i was one of those kings roger <laughs> but this story helps and the the other falsehood here is and even in our little nativity scenes under the tree i've got my tree behind me here in my office uh the the, the three wise men are there hanging out on the edges of the nativity scene they right. wouldn't have come to the nativity, Roger. They didn't come for this child. They didn't reach the Christ child in Bethlehem. The gospel says they went to a house. They didn't go to a cave. They didn't go to a, a, a you know, a, 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 out in the wilderness. They went to a house in Bethlehem. This is months, probably two years after the birth of Christ. So that timeline is in the gospel, if you read it closely. And we've forgotten about it. And history reinforces it for us. I'm talking with Raymond Arroyo today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new children's book is literally for the entire family. It's called The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I am encouraged, Raymond, I mean, to talk about that. You mentioned the timeline. It's nice to see more and more people questioning, okay, when exactly was Jesus born? When exactly did yeah. these events happen? And, you know, it's really easy for us to forget Paul's writing one of his epistles and he was in prison for two years. And then we kind of move on like, wait, what? Okay. Hold on a second. You right. know, this is, we, we, we read this in real time for us. And for, we forget that God's well, God's eternal. So, I mean, that's, that's just for our benefit. Right. But, 
What else are we missing in the wise men story well, that we will find in the wise men who found Christmas? Well, as you know, the gospel opens with it. It's only 12 verses, Roger. What 12 verses where in an ancient writing where people mentioned where thousands of years later, we're still commemorating them, remembering them, observing them and recreating them. Hardly any. So they must have some significance and a large significance. So I, I consulted with a woman named Margaret Barker and many others subscribe to this. And it's a theory, but it's a really good, smart one. Margaret translates for the Jordanian government, the Israeli authority, Cambridge educated, brilliant woman, first century mm -hmm. scholar, um, but really brilliant. And Margaret has a suggestion that I think may be true. These wise men are either Persian priests in exile in this kingdom of Nabatea, because the Zoroastrians, the Persians, modern day Iran, they have a belief in a Messiah who comes and vanquishes evil and raises the dead. That's in Zoroaster's writings. So yes, that would have been floating around, but they wouldn't have been necessarily immersed in Jewish prophecies of a Messiah, would they? Hmm. So it begs the other question. 700 years before Jesus, there is a first temple priesthood, the royal priesthood, the order of Melchizedek. They are expelled from the temple 700 years before Jesus, that royal priesthood. They go into exile. Where? Arabia, the hmm. kingdom mm -hmm. of Nabatea. Their descendants may very well be serving the king there. They are immersed in the prophecies, awaiting the return of the old day, old ways and the Messiah. When they see the star, they will give their life to go touch and see this child. So they go. And the three gifts again pop up, Roger, because Margaret sends me to Philo of Alexandria. You can look this up. First century, right? Right during the time of Jesus, a historian. Philo says there are three markings of that old priesthood, that first temple priesthood. Gold was in the vestments of the priests. They burned incense in their temples. And most importantly, Myrrh oil was kept in the Holy of Holies. Why? To anoint new members of the royal priesthood and kings. So now suddenly, if you consider all of this, the wise men may have been really wise and have a religious mission to not just do a gift drop by it, but to anoint the last royal priest, the final eternal priest of that first testament, first temple priesthood and restore the first temple it's that to me is mind-blowing and mm -hmm. elevates this story to a whole new level and now you see why he opens the story with the maybe such a great conversation today here on the bottom line raymond arroyo is my guest the book is called the wise men who found christmas there's a link for the book up at the bottomlineshow.com and a special announcement about this book on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues Raymond Arroyo is the New York Times bestselling author of the Will Wilder series from Random House. He's an international broadcaster and producer. You've probably seen him on one of your favorite Fox News shows. He's also the founding news director of EWTN News and the host of The World Over Live. He joins me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about his brand new book. I'm going to stop calling this a children's book, Raymond. I mean, I hope you don't a mind. A family read. There you go. I call yep. it a family read, Roger, because I write for the child today and children love it. I've read, I just read it at the Museum of the Bible to a yes. hundred kids. It was hilarious. We had a great time. Kids love it. Adults are coming away with a very different story. And that's what I write for both generations, the child today and the grown child tomorrow. I love it. The Wise Men Who Found Christmas is the name of the book, and we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. I mentioned earlier, Raymond, in our conversation, it's very cinematically done with the beautiful artwork from Diane LaFayre. Talk about uh, what 
what's what are the next steps i don't want to make this a product pitch movie <laughs> but i mean this does seem like i mean for anybody who like prince of egypt or anything like that they would love this on the big screen any talk about doing anything well like that? i i would like to see it adapted i'm talking to a few people um and we'll see what happens pray for that i'd like yeah. to see it i think it would be a, a great and fun um story that again is entertaining to modern audiences and they're wonderful subplots. And look, the characters really came alive when I started to write this. And you look, you do take you do take um, literary license here and there. For instance, sure. Pope Benedict has a wonderful book on the nativity. And in the middle of it is the theological observation that the wise men, the, the, they were not so much, or the star was not so much directing the wise men as the Christ child was directing the star. Hmm. And I was so moved and kind of, touched by that that we did realize that in the illustrations you see where they they approach the house and the light's not going down from the star but up from the house which mm. i sort of liked to the star um again those little artistic touches um i think enlarge everybody's concept of who and what this is mm -hmm. and the the grandeur and the wonder and the awe of this story and at a time when people are trying to i think leech all out of our children's lives and mm -hmm. snatch away wonder during Christmas, I want to try to do the opposite and restore it and uplift it and spread a little wonder because we need that in our lives. Thank God you, and the world is bigger than we are. Raymond, thank you. Thank you for, for protecting the innocence of children and, and, and striving to do so in each of the last three books that you've written, at least for our purposes here on the Bottom mm -hmm. Line Show, in terms of saying, we want that awe, we want that wonder, we want that innocence. Because every time I hear someone in the culture say, boy, this is an amazing cup of coffee, or wow, that was awesome, and they just throw it away like it's a, a casual euphemism, rather than saying, no, wait a minute, we worship God in awestruck wonder. Mm -hmm. And and that's what that that's part of what makes the Christmas season such a special and, and joyous occasion. When our families who are listening to this conversation right now get the wise men who found Christmas and read it together as a family, we do want to hear the those little kid gasps, you know, that's just like, yeah. oh my goodness. I mean, that's, I, I know you could hear that when you were writing it. Um, what led you here? I mean, was it a progression? Because we've talked about, you know, the spider, we've talked about, you know, your last yeah. two books now. What, where, where is God leading you, Raymond Arroyo? I mean, well, this is kind of I, look, I'm, I'm, I love writing for family audiences. I do, and because I don't write down to to them, I don't write down to children. I don't write down to adults. You have to kind of, and that's why I spend the time researching these projects because I want to be able to share something new that will be exciting and fun and rollicking and 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 wondrous and adventurous for kids, but speak to life and bespeak life lessons and 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 even even uh, things we can't see eternal truths to adults so you you're working on two levels i have a new series coming out from harper collins and it's called turnabout tales hmm. and it is going to focus on crisis points in great american lives when these people were young a moment when that life could have really come to a grinding halt Mm -hmm. And a decision was made. Our log line is challenges faced, paths changed, history altered. Because wow. that is what happens when the right decision is made in the moment by children, by their family, by their parents. And uh, the first book is about Thomas Edison. And mm -hmm. uh, it is, I can't go into it all, but it's a <clears throat> great 
story. It's the the unexpected light of Thomas Alva Edison. So that's mm. coming out. And I have three more I've written that are in the wings. But that series is really special to me and close to my heart. Um, and again, it's it's a family read. But people say, well, you're, I hate when people say you're writing books for kids. Yes, it's the highest form of literature, because hopefully that child will read the book to their child someday and yes. it will shift on them as children's literature shifted on me, Roger. When I read my children, Peter Pan or Treasure Island, those stories totally transformed when I was an adult, because your experience of them with the limited experience of a child is very different. You're taking right. the ride, but you can't quite see beyond the set pieces. As an adult, you can. And and I appreciate the, the, the journey that you've gone on and are also taking us on as well with your writing series. Raymond Arroyo, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The Wise Men Who Found Christmas is the fascinating new family book uh, that we've got up at thebottomlineshow.com. Raymond, a couple of minutes left in our time together here. Sure. What encouragement do you have for our listeners, maybe those of us who uh, have a little more snow on the uh, on the chimney, <laughs> as it were, a little more dust on the bottle, and and we've kind of lost that awe. We've kind of lost that wonder. What, what? How do we rekindle that sense of wonder in our lives? Well, I think you do it by focusing anew and going the same way the wise men pursued the truth. And it's really the lesson they gave me in writing this book. What I discovered is two things. And, and maybe it's something we can all profit from. The wise men kept their eyes where? Upward. Not on the things of the earth, but on the things of God. They were looking for a light. They were waiting for an answer. They spent years, generations staring upward, waiting for God to move and give them some sign. That is where our orientation should be at Christmas, not on the things of the earth and the last minute sales and the getting the menu right, but on the things of God. So and the second part of it is don't let Christmas wash over you. Don't let the season hit you like a wave and recede. You have to when the light presents itself like the wise men. And I love in the middle spread of the book. Diane LaFayer in her beautiful illustration here, and you're right, it's like an animated movie. You see the three wise men on those Arabian horses running out after the Christ child. They're running through the desert in the darkness, by the way, because the star has gone out. And they're and that's in the gospel, too. And they're racing toward the, the, the their destination. They're going to Herod's palace, or they're racing to Bethlehem. Um, and I thought to myself, this is how every Christmas should be for us. We shouldn't let it wash over us, but when the light shines, you run out and you find Christmas. Mm -hmm. You discover it anew. And we have to have that. And there's an adult lesson from a, from a family read, but it's an important one. Uh, by the way, Arabian horses were introduced to the kingdom of Nabatea a hundred years before Jesus and was the Tesla of the day. So clearly <laughs> the wise men would not, they would have packed the camels with the freight and the heavy pack they would have moved ahead of the caravan on yeah. horses. And it was only a three-day journey around the Dead Sea. So yeah. uh, again, the history, the geography, the uh, archaeology all begins to inform the reality of the story, and it changes that story. And I think makes it more rich, more important, more exciting for all of us. Raymond Arroyo, our time always goes by much too quickly. We're so grateful for the work that uh, God has led you to do and putting this book together. We're grateful for the work you continue to do with EWTN and the world over and all of your uh, contributions to uh, the different media outlets that you have. But this book writing, boy, I'm so glad to hear that we get a chance to chat with you again coming in the spring with your brand new HarperCollins series. But for now, 
Thank you for the wise men who found Christmas. We've got it linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you and yours from all of us. Merry Christmas to you, Roger. Thank you for having me on The Bottom Line. Well, it's always great to get some time with Raymond Arroyo, and this book is just a lot of fun, but it's also very educational and informational as well. The book is called The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. There's a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com, and since today is Super Tuesday, we have not one but two copies of this book we're giving away. 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, New York Times bestselling author and a great man of faith, Raymond Arroyo. The book is called The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, a couple of final thoughts about these wise men, why their story is so important, and then also take kind of a preview of our next dialogue today here on The Bottom Line, knowing that the holiday season is here and knowing that there are people who might be invited to your Thanksgiving or Christmas celebration who may or may not be coming because of the fact that there are some differences in the family. And what does it mean to be a peacemaker in uh, God's economy? We're going to get into that and more coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to Raymond Arroyo from EWTN and the Fox News Channel uh, for joining me today here on the program. The Wise Men Who Found Christmas is his most recent children's book, and we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have not one but two copies that we're giving away today. Get it? Super Tuesday. So we got two copies of the book. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line show. We have two copies of the book, The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. Yes, it is a story about the Magi, but it's basically something that you may not have heard before because oftentimes the story of the three wise men is kind of uh, intertwined into our Christmas folklore as opposed to factual, factual accuracy. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line for Raymond and Royal's book called The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. Hey, speaking of the birth and newborns, uh, don't forget we have a very special opportunity for you right now, thanks to our friends at Preborn. And a generous anonymous donor has come forward and said, during this Thanksgiving season, 
They want bottom line show listeners to have an opportunity to have your impact doubled when you donate to Preborn. It costs $28 for the Ministry of Preborn to provide an ultrasound appointment uh, with a pregnancy test and the ultrasound images and imaging that comes through. And every, well, 85 out of every 100 women who come through a preborn clinic and have the ultrasound done choose to either give the birth of life or the gift of life through the childbirth to their family or also uh, to those who uh, want to release that child for adoption. But the ultrasound images make the difference. They, they really honestly do. The special matching gift is in place now through the end of the month. But think about it as far as Thanksgiving goes. Your gift will be doubled. I know I've mentioned often that uh, uh, it's it's kind of an easy equation to make a donation. If you want to make a one-time donation, how many kids and grandkids do you have? Multiply that number by 28, and that's your donation. It's really very simple. But when you call and make your donation today, guess what? It's doubled because of the special matching gift. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-BABY. That's 2229 if you don't want to try to figure out the letters. Or you can give a gift online at kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Click on the preborn banner and make your best donation. A $28 donation becomes $56. A $280 donation becomes $560. This is the best. Dennis Wilson would love this because you get double your return on investment. And if you are feeling led to make a donation that's larger, pinpointing the $15,000 cost for every uh, ultrasound machine. I'm so grateful the bottom line listeners have stepped up. Last year, Preborn raised enough money for 60 ultrasound machines and nearly 10% of those came. They, they advertise all over the country, really, online and on radio. And 10% of their ultrasound machines came from our program. So I'm, I'm thrilled about that. If you want to make a $15,000 donation today for one ultrasound machine, it will be doubled. 833-850-2229 is the number to call or go to kbrightradio.com and follow the prompts. For those who remain on the network today, we've got a great opportunity coming up next for you to be blessed peacemakers. Uh, Rabbi Schneider's for our KCBC audience and enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, Brian Noble is going to join me. We're going to talk about living reconciled, seven ways to bring peace to your most difficult relationships. If this is a resource you could use at Thanksgiving, stay with us on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Well, one of the biggest challenges for us in the body of Christ is to live peaceably with all people. And we know that Paul gives us that command as much as it pertains to us. But within the body of Christ, especially, we want peace. We want reconciliation. We want to have those kind of meaningful relationships. The question is, how do we get them? Well, joining me today here on the broad broadcast is a guy who's going to help us out. His name is Brian Noble. He is the executive director of Peacemakers Ministries. And he's written a book called Living Reconciled, Seven Ways to Bring Peace to Your Most Difficult Relationships. And we have a link for the book up at the bottom line show.com p brian noble welcome to the bottom line show hey thanks for having me on roger i appreciate this conversation because your background in ministry as an executive pastor is one who works at trying to help christians especially but people in general develop more peaceful relationships that have reconciliation in it i'm sure there's a story as to how this became such an important part of your ministry kind of give us a little bit of background as to how brian noble got so interested in becoming a peacemaker well, if I do it in like the 30-second mode, it's one of those things where I come from a divorced family, and I was raised in a, just a pretty rough childhood, and then uh, got married and uh, became a pastor, and then at age 30, I split a church, and I was like, God, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> so uh, I, I researched Peacemaker Ministries, and and uh, they've been around. we've been around for about 30 years, and so we 
I started training and I started learning from them and growing and eventually became the CEO of the ministry. Love it. Love it. I think that's wonderful. And you know, quite frankly, don't you hate it when God gives you a ministry born out of something that you messed up? I mean, I, I'm there. We've all been there before. It's like, wow, I, I really got good at giving marriage advice when I went through a divorce. You know I mean? That's, that's kind of the way it works out. But I, I realize for a lot of people um, that that whole concept of, you know, uh, in scripture, a brother is born for adversity. Sometimes a brother is born from adversity. And, and that kind of leads us right into this brand new book on, on living reconciled. The number of people who in the body of Christ are saying, I want to be peacemakers. I want to live reconciled. It really is a heart's desire of ours, especially once we become Christians and the Holy Spirit takes over. Absolutely. When you think about, like, if you go to Romans, for instance, God places that truth inside of us. He says that which is evident within them, that truth that's evident within us, is to live in peaceful lives. And so he's placed that desire for us to be peacemakers. He says we're blessed as we do peacemaking and uh, as children of God. So I think that's in the heart of every believer is to live reconciled with their brothers and sisters and those around them. The challenge, of course, though, is that we get into these situations, and you've been in these conversations, I have too, Brian Noble, where people are at odds with each other, and you take a step back sometimes, and I'll give you an example. I was looking at social media earlier today, and there's a well-known guy in the pro-life community who's uh, kind of an activist of sorts, and he posted something. He said, well, congratulate me, everyone. I just got unfriended and blocked by, and he listed the name of a pretty prominent evangelical leader. And I remember my comment to him, you know, people were chuckling and laughing and this, that, and the other thing. But my comment was, wow, what happened? I mean, I really did want to know what happened. Why is it so difficult for us to see that that living reconciled with our brothers and sisters is really a direct reflection of the reconciliation that we are experiencing with God right now? Yeah, actually, the whole entire book is based on 2 Corinthians 5. And when you think about it, you hit the nail on the head where you said it's a reflection out of a relationship with God, because in Second Corinthians 5, it talks about how we live in a temporal world, a tent, you might say, mm-hmm. and this tent is like being tossed and by the winds and the, you know, and, the, and the rains and all that kind of stuff that's coming down. And so when your tent hits my tent, I don't like it too much. You know, when your temporalness hits my temporalness, I don't like <laughs> yeah. it. So relationships are really tough. They're just, they are tough. It's nice to hear somebody who has experience in this field of ministry acknowledging the fact that it's tough, because I would imagine a lot of people, Brian Noble, are, are looking at your book, Living Reconciled, and they're saying, okay, great. So we got seven ways to bring peace to your most difficult relationships. I'm glad that you found them, but quite frankly, this doesn't work for me, which is sometimes code for, I don't know what to do, and I'm afraid to take that first step. Talk about what the first step is in the process and why so many of us are just chicken. Well, and this is where the basis of the book says that God has given us everything we need for godliness, and that says that in Second Corinthians 5. He's given us His Holy Spirit as a pledge. And so what we need to understand is He's our power station to move us through uh, this tension and this conflict, and we're going to look at how to reshape our attitudes towards other people, because so much of our life is, is, is dependent upon how we view our perspective of the conflict, of the tension, of the frustration that we're going through. And so the book aims to say, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so reshaping that attitude and taking the first courageous step to be controlled by Christ's love, right? The love of Christ con- uh, controls us. And making that a proclamation uh, is what we, we begin with the courageous attitudes. 
I love that that th that thought from Brian Noble today here on the bottom line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called Living Reconciled: Seven Ways to Bring Peace to Your Most Difficult Relationships. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we'll be giving away a copy of this book at the end of this conversation. Uh, Brian, that whole bit about being controlled by Christ's love, which so many of us like to say in the relationship, in the context of relationship with God and with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit, we love that. We absolutely love it. Right. And then you start mixing it up with other people, and you're like, wait. Wait, I feel like I'm being controlled by God's love, but they're not. And that, then our tents keep crashing into each other. And that brings you to another principle, which is the fact that not only are we controlled by Christ's love, but we really don't live for ourselves anymore. Talk about why that understanding, that revelation is so key. Yeah, when you, when you think about not living for ourselves, it's the foundation of the Christian gospel message. Right. Jesus, when he died on the cross for our sins, he no longer lived for himself. He was, I mean, he never lived for himself, quite frankly, but, but the idea that the, the picture that he died on that cross and not lived for himself, he said to his father, he said, Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And so in our conflict and in our relationships is to take that practical theology and apply it to our daily lives and say, Listen, the Word of God is true, and I'm going to proclaim in this tension that I'm having that I no longer live for myself. Now, right. I didn't make up the concept. It's right there in Second Corinthians uh, 5.15. It says, He died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's the concept that we can have. It's a, but it takes courage to have that concept, because when I'm in conflict, I want to be right, and I want yeah. my rights <laughs> made known. Yes, yes. And, and it, it becomes a righteous indignation of sorts, Brian Noble, in the sense that you want to be right and you want what is right. And you talk about the, the desires in conflict here. The spirit inside of us says, I know it's true and pure and lovely and right and good and noble and all those things. And I want that. The self part says, and I want to be right. And I want you to be wrong. Because if I'm right and you're wrong, then everything's right i guess we can't both be right if we're having, <laughs> we can't both be right if we're having conflict and yet i i love you're you're for all the people who have preached and heard and taught on first corinthians 13 and say boy whenever i think of corinthians and paul's letter to the church at corinth that's what i want you've gone into one of my sweet spots which is second corinthians 5 because verses 15 16 17 if anyone is christ he's a new creation 20 and 21 mm -hmm. with the whole ambassadors for christ i mean paul's really just getting to the heart of who we are almost the heart of who we are in 21st century American Christianity, let alone, you know, Corinth in the first century. It's, it's, it's refreshing to hear this. And yet that whole, I'm a new creation means I'm controlled by Christ. I no longer live for myself. And then I'm looking at other people too and saying they're new creations and those new creations aren't just flesh and bones. Talk about that. Exactly. And the, so it's easy for us to take the cool principles from scripture and apply it to ourselves. <laughs> it, takes a, it takes another t type of person to say, you know what, and that person I'm mad at, that is a child of God, and they Amen. are a new creation as well. Because I have had hundreds of phone calls where people question the salvation of the person they're in conflict with. And, and usually the story goes something like this. Yeah, we were best friends. We hung out. We had great time ministering together. We were doing so much for Jesus, but now I don't even know if they're saved anymore. Right. And, and I'm like, how do we go from best friends to saying that the person is going to hell? You know, I, I, mm -hmm. I, 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 I don't know. But the, the key is that we have a courageous attitude to say God is at work in his gospel message in that other person as much as he's at work with that gospel inside of me. It's an amazing uh, concept. It's so life-giving. And 
And yet for us as Christians, we have to understand and put this into practice. The, the old uh, idiom, if you point one finger at somebody else because, you know, you're not liking the way they're living, there's three more pointing right back at you, those fingers anyway, saying, hey, wait a minute, have you looked in the mirror recently? Uh, Brian Noble is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The brand new book is called Living Reconciled, Seven Ways to Bring Peace to Your Most Difficult Relationships. You've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, we're going to talk about the keys to getting to, we've got a few more steps to walk through, to talk about being being not just a good witness, not just someone who shares the love of Christ with people who are unbelievers, but someone who is a reconciler in every way, shape, and form. More of that conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Brian Noble is my guest today here on the program. Brian is the author of a fascinating new book that I believe should be required reading of every pastor, heck, every Christian (laughs) right now. The book is called Living Reconciled, Seven Ways to Bring Peace to Your Most Difficult Relationships. We have a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Brian, you and I were just talking during the break about the areas where you've experienced reconciliation or needed to, and you kind of had to be the one to instigate it. I I, I would love, just pastor to pastor, I'd love to talk about how you just kind of glibly mentioned, oh, and by the way, I split a church when I was pastoring, and I'm like, well, wait, that's that's something we don't want to rush through. But for, for the sake of, you know, my pastor geekiness that would really get a, yeah. a kick out of fight, talking about that. Let's talk about some of the other relationships where you've been able to put these principles into practice. How's that a fair way of saying it? Maybe in your home, in your marriage, or relationship with yeah. one of your parents, something like that. Well, what I like to say is my first four years of marriage were I call hell on earth, and then the next seven <laughs> years were purgatory, which I don't even believe in purgatory, but I live there. And <laughs> oh, then, no. And then after that, we became best friends for the last 15, 16 years now. Um, and what happened is I really tried to create Tanya in, in my likeness. So did she respond to conflict the way I thought she should respond? Did she go to the grocery store the way I thought she should go to the grocery store? And, you know, did she get on time the way I thought she should be on time? And I had like this gigantic scoreboard, right? When she would live up to what I thought and when she then when she there was a foul or, you know, something in the, in the game. And God just challenged me through this scripture. It says that he does not count our trespasses against us any longer. Mm-hmm. He tears down the scoreboard. And that's the attitude we need to have, is where we, where we tear down the scoreboard. And I remember uh, with my wife just thinking, it was more internally than anything, I'm not going to keep score anymore. Mm. I'm not going to keep counting her trespasses against me. And secondly, <laughs> I'm not going to try to create her into my image. She's created in the likeness of Jesus and to be created into his image. 
And so it really, my wife will say, like, when I forget these things, she'll say, hey, Brian, go teach peacemaking somewhere. It will really help you out, you know? <laughs> That's so very kind of her to really recommend that. Yeah. Great relationship that way, you know? But we I have fun. It. The last 15, 16 years have been fun. I think that's great. It, it's encouraging, too, because I know there are a lot of people who are listening to our conversation right now who have uh, have the marriage years, you know, they're dwarfing you and me by a couple of laps. And in terms of how they make it work, and I'm always encouraged by people who have 40, 50, you know, maybe my parents will be, gosh, it'll be 67 years this summer. And uh, you begin to realize, wow. you know, how that, that not keeping score, you have to count the things that really count. And Stop counting the things that really don't. And I, I, it's such, it's humbling, I think, as a husband to be able to hear another husband saying, I stopped trying to make my wife into my own image, you know, and instead just appreciating her for who she is because it, it's tough when we are in the middle of everything that every, that's going on in terms of life and world and pandemic and war and everything like that to sometimes we'll, we'll lose track of that. And yet we don't count those trespasses just the same way God doesn't count them against us. And if we are, then we have to maybe get right reconciliation with the Lord first and foremost before we start taking that uh, speck out of our brother or sister's eye. I'm talking with Brian Noble today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Living Reconciled, Seven Ways to Bring Peace to Your Most Difficult Relationships. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. So where do we go from, how do we get to being reconcilers, Brian? I mean, you've been very, very candid to talk about how God led you from being someone who had apparently been a divider. I don't think of you as being that kind of divisive personality, but I understand what it's like to be the pastor in a church where there are different personalities and you can't get everybody on on, on the same page. Um, But that really kind of set you back to where you thought, okay, I've got the trajectory, I've got this all figured out. And then God said, no, I'm going to show you a whole deeper level of peacemaking and reconciliation. How do we start bearing the mantle of being reconcilers? I think first and foremost, it, it's interesting because the Scripture says, while we're yet enemies, Christ reconciled us. And yeah. when we think about before anything, anyone does anything else, the, the, the payment has been made through Jesus Christ, the work of the cross. And so having that mindset is number one. So when I split the church, my mindset really was that the, the, theoretically, right? I mean, or theologically, I had that mindset. But when I looked at the, the party that was in opposition or the parties or the families that were in opposition to me, I didn't have that same draw. I was threatened. I was defensive. I self-justified bad decisions. And, and nothing was immoral. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like it was an immoral act. It was preferences that we didn't agree on. And so that was divisive. That was not, that was not helpful to the flock. And so instead of taking a deep breath, backing up and saying, God, I'm a reconciler because Jesus did this, and I can be approachable, teachable. God, you are my defender. Who brings a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Amen. And I don't need to justify myself. I can listen, lead, and state my position. And if we need to redefine the relationship, at least it won't be in a, in a uh, detrimental way. Yeah. Let's talk about repentance for just a moment, because I, I heard a, a contrition in your voice just now, Brian Noble, talking about wanting reconciliation and being able to look back on that church split and saying, wow, that was me, or looking back on your relationship with Tanya and saying, yeah, that was me too. Um, repentance has to play a part in this, and yet I know a lot of people, you do too, who have a difficult time with repentance because for some reason they seem to think that that means if somebody, if you've done something wrong to somebody else, you obviously want to make things right. But if there's, you know, a need for forgiveness or, you know, a contrition on somebody else's part and you offer that forgiveness to them, then it's seen as a weakness or, oh, you're condoning that kind of bad behavior. How do we navigate those waters? 
When we look at those waters, first, let's define repentance. And repentance is both confessing and forsaking. So it's not just saying I was wrong, it's turning from your wrong. I think it's really important because we have a lot of people who kind of say, well, I said I was wrong. Yeah, but did you stop doing that? Um, Did you turn from it? So that's the first component of repentance. And then secondly, repentance is only possible, again, I go back to this, the gospel message, it's only possible because we know and understand what Jesus has paid for the price. Um, what people don't understand is Romans twelve eighteen. it says, if possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at yes. peace with all men. The next verse says, leave room for the wrath of God, for vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So when we have a place of repentance, we understand, I am no longer the judge, juror, and executioner. I get to step back, say I was wrong, turn from my sin, and let God be the judge, the juror, and the executioner of that. And it's so freeing that you don't have to play God in everyone's life. Mm-hmm, you can mm-hmm. allow Him, allow God to be God and you to be you, and uh, you're just a reflection, hopefully, of, of His glory. You know, I think about a phrase that my mom used often when I was growing up, and it stuck with me even today with regard to judgment and judgmental attitude. She says, you know, I wake up every morning, at part of my prayer and devotion time, I ask God whom he would like me to judge. He says, no one, and I go about my business. And I realized that, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like I, I check in with him because that's her way, not, of, of course, of you know keeping God in check, but really keeping your spirit in check and saying, hey, look, if I if there's any way in me, please search my heart, know what's in there, and if there's any way in me that wants to go out and be hypercritical, because I love my mom. She can be, uh, well, let's see, very insightful, you know, in terms of what's happening right, and maybe right. what well, might I need correcting, uh, if that's uh, put it politely. But um, it doesn't want right. to get out of, out of, doesn't want to get in God's way and doesn't want to get out of God's will in that regard. And I think that's so helpful. Uh, Brian Noble is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Living Reconciled is the book, Seven Ways to Bring Peace to Your Most Difficult Relationships. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Brian, we have listeners right now who are, Hanging around here, listening to the broadcast of the podcast and uh, even watching us on My Hope Now, and they are asking the question, okay, Pastor, you've made, laid out a really convincing case for repentance and reconciliation, but the book says most difficult relationships, and man, I'll tell you, there's a stain on this one relationship. I've tried everything, and I don't know how to get it out. Where's a good place for someone to start? Other than just saying, you know what, fine, this, I mean, I've done this, I think we've all done this. This relationship is too difficult, I don't recognize you anymore, so I'm not even going to go there. But God calls us to go there, so what's the first step to get yeah, there? Yeah, he, he does. I think we need to be careful, especially when we're talking in these conversations about a reinstatement of relationship. Um, so there's sometimes when domestic violence or abuse is taking place, where on this side of heaven, reinstatement of a relationship is not possible, or maybe not be healthy for uh, for a, lot, a number of reasons. Uh Excluded from those extreme cases, right? So I want to take those off. The, off. I don't want to ever put anyone in an unsafe environment. Of course. I would course. say the Holy Spirit will be inside of you, guiding you and directing you through the Word of God of little acts that you can take to bring about reconciliation into those difficult relationships, where you can, you can take care of your attitude first, and then you can find a way to serve or be that cup of fresh water to someone else and how to speak uh, highly of them. Peter says, do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. So I believe that the Word of God will show you how to be a blessing to that person that you uh, don't have a reinstated relationship with yet. Um, And so you'll just take those little baby steps, and you'll begin to see Goliath fall. And that's not necessarily the other person. It's the the attitude. It's the the wall that has been developed between the two of you. And when we stop seeing each other as flesh and bone, but we start seeing each other as spiritual beings 
are united in Christ, reconciled through the blood of his sacrifice on Calvary, then it changes the whole dynamic to where then that reconciliation, that Goliath, if you will, is the sin between us. It's the conflict between us. It's not the us between us. And, and exactly. that's a, and that, it's such a healthy perspective. Uh, Brian Noble, time's gone by much too quickly, and we're grateful for the discussion that we've had today here on The Bottom Line. The book Living Reconciled, Seven Ways to Bring Peace to Your Most Difficult Relationships is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Brian, uh, pleasure to have time with you once again. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Well, thank you so much, Roger. Have a great day. Well, that's a great conversation to have, and it's not an easy one to have, but I think it's very, very beneficial, and I'm grateful for Brian Noble for joining me today here on The Bottom Line uh, to talk about peacemaking and uh, living reconciled. His book, Living Reconciled, is up at thebottomlineshow.com, Seven Ways to Bring Peace to Your Most Difficult Relationships. And this is a ministry that Brian, as he mentioned, uh, it kind of found him rather than him founding it. But the beautiful thing about it is when you think about what's going on right now in the world, you think about the divisions there are between people. I was talking to someone the other day who I, I've known this guy and his brother for years. And um, we were discussing, you know, because I see him on social media and I know they live in different states. They kind of go in different directions. But we were actually having a conversation. I asked him, uh, so how are you and your brother getting along? He goes, well, you know, and he kind of his voice trailed off. And I said, do you guys talk a lot? He goes, not really. And then I asked him, "How? when's the last time you really had a good conversation. He said, a meaningful one? And I said, yeah. He goes, about 25 years ago. And I went, oh my gosh, we've all known each other since high school. And I had no idea that things had kind of drifted off that way, but they had. And it's hard to be the one who says, I want to make peace. But having this book, Living Reconciled, I think will be a big help by P. Brian Noble. We have not one, but two copies of this book to give away today, and I would love to place one in your hands here, especially during the holiday season. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, some final thoughts about peacemaking, the holiday season, and how God would have us handle those difficult relationships that we all have. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to Brian Noble for Peacemaker Ministries for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. It's Super Tuesday, and we've got not one but two copies of Brian's book called Living Reconciled to give away. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. I remember when November 8th, 2016 rolled around. That was the day that Donald Trump was elected the 45th president of the United States. And I heard so many people who were opposed to his election, of course, you know, 
explaining why they thought this was the end of the world as we know it. And of course, seven years later, we're still here. But like no other time in American history, I saw people literally losing fellowship with other people, long time friendships, relationships, because of the fact that they just couldn't get past, well, you voted for him or you didn't vote for him. And I think about reconciliation and how, uh, you know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers, but peacemakers, the ones who would make peace and find what the key to peace is. Of course, it's by its grace and faith in Jesus Christ. I was watching a video clip the other day, uh, Sage Steele, former uh, sports reporter and anchor for ESPN. And uh, that's her, her story. It's a story of reconciliation and that her mom and dad uh, met when he was at West Point and um, dad, African-American, mom is white. They fell in love. They got married. And her parents told, uh, mom's parents told her, the Sage's mom, if you marry this guy, we'll disown you. And so she did. And so they did. And I thought to myself, what a shame that someone would cut off a relationship with somebody else. Not I mean, This is a West Point grad, good, decent, God-fearing man. And yet mom and dad's fear, hatred, whatever it was, um, led them to end a relationship. Maybe you're on the receiving end of that, like you heard me talking about my friend in the earlier segment who uh, has been estranged from a family member for 25 years or so. You know, I understand that sometimes there is an estrangement and that estrangement, it happens because of some seemingly unforgivable sin that you can't get past. But for me, the even worse ones are the ones where you all get together and you smile and you kind of make nice with each other, but there's a reconciliation that needs to happen. And the question is, who's gonna, who's gonna make it happen? I am convinced that our job as Christians is not to try to mend every fence and patch up every hole. This side of eternity, I don't think that's going to happen. The question for us as peacemakers is when we are faced with an opportunity to make peace rather than keep peace, how do we respond? You think of the people who preach and preach and preach the gospel to other folks and don't get a positive response that they know of. But our job is to be faithful to God and to go and preach the good news. Our job is to preach peace and to make peace everywhere we go. If other people don't want to receive the gift, that's on them. But if we don't preach peace, that's on us. That's the bottom line.